If you've got your Bibles this morning, I pray that you do. Let's go to the book of Isaiah chapter 11. I did have outlines that we put out. I think they're out there in the foyer on um, a stand out there, or you can probably get it on Facebook. I think Nathan usually puts it on our Wells Baptist Facebook page, and so <clears throat> either way uh, you can get it. <coughs> Excuse me. I can go ahead and probably say for certain that we will not finish this this morning. So um, when you look at this outline and you go down through there, don't get scared. We are not going to be here all day. But, um, but it, it is a very good lesson, and I pray that you will follow along with me in your words. Um, if you don't have a written word with you, I know that they, they put them on your phones now. I don't know if you all knew that or not, but they put them on your phones, and um, you can follow right along with me. I am the kind of preacher that if you don't follow along with me in the Word of God, you're probably not going to get that much from my preaching. Um, and so if you will follow along with where we're at, I think you will see what the Lord wants you to see, and I really think you'll be able to take something out of it that will apply to your life before you leave today, and that's our prayer. So um, Chris has already read Isaiah chapter 11 for us, so we're not going to read it again, but how many of you know that one of the primary problems with us in our lives is that even as Christians, even though we have the counsel of God, the wisdom of God, the understanding of God, um, the knowledge of God, most of our problems arise because we don't seek any of those things. But instead, we look to ourselves for all of our issues and for the directions that we need to turn. We do not usually seek the Lord's ways in any of our decisions in our lives. For the most part, the only time we really seek His Word is when we come together for church service. Can anybody say amen to that this morning? I thought there might be a few. Now, yes, as we mature in our faith, hopefully we get to a place to where before we make decisions and the way we handle problems in our life is we really turn to the Word of God and we really look for His guidance and His understanding, His wisdom, His counsel. But this is what happened to God's people in the um, early days as well. Whenever uh, Israel and Judah, whenever they had stepped away from the, um, the ways of God, it was because even though they had the law, even though they had guidance and counsel and they had many ways for them to follow God and for them to try to stay true to God, uh, instead of looking at those things, they looked to themselves, they looked to the world, they found every other way to live their life except for following God. And this is the curse of mankind, right? This is the kind of hearts that we have. And so again, if you see in the um, outline here, one of the primary problems with the people of Israel was that they didn't follow God. They didn't seek His knowledge, but instead they became godless. They became evildoers in what they were doing. And this grew worse every day. And we're going to see it was because the kings of the land, the elders of the land, the honored men of the land, even the prophets of the land were teaching lies to the people and they were leading people astray. Look with me if you would at Isaiah chapter 9 verse 13 through 17 and you'll see what I'm talking about. Notice it says here that the people did not turn to Him who struck them, nor did they inquire of the Lord of the hosts. So here's what would happen. Um, 
because they wouldn't follow God, God would have to discipline them. How many of you know as parents that when your children don't do what you tell them to do, what do you have to do for their good? You have to discipline them. You have to teach them. You have to train them. Well, God would send His discipline hand, but instead of the children turning around and doing right, they would turn around and do wrong again, and they would just become more godless. But then look what it says in verse 14 of chapter 9. So the Lord cut off from Israel head and tail. I'm talking about the leaders here. The palm branch and the reed in one day. The elder and the honored man is the head. The prophet who teaches lies is the tail. For those who guide this people have been leading them astray, and those who are guided by them are swallowed up. And so what we see in that, and keep going with me verse 17. Therefore the Lord does not rejoice over their young men, He has no compassion on their fatherless and the widows, for everyone is godless and an evildoer, and every mouth speaks folly. For all this, his hand has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. So when you tie all that together, what we see is that the problem in the nation of Israel and Judah is that they were being taught lies. They weren't being taught the way of God. They didn't want to seek the way of God. They didn't want to know the way of God. And as a result of that, because they didn't have good leadership, because they didn't have good teaching uh, preachers and prophets, instead they were being taught what their ears wanted to hear. They were being told they can live the way that they were living and God was just fine with it. And yet, little by little, they were becoming more and more evil. Now let me ask you a question. Does that sound like anybody today? It sounds just like us and just like the world we live in, right? And so what we see in this is that these people, even though God was stretching out His hand, and He's not talking about just in grace here, He's talking about in discipline. He said, for all this, His anger has not turned away, and His hand is stretched out still. Any of y'all's mamas or daddies in here ever looked at y'all and went, y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? Well, that's what he's ta- that's what you're seeing here. You're seeing God saying, for all this, his anger has not turned away. And his hand is stretched out still. But the people continue to do evil and they continue to go. And even whenever the judgment would come, the preachers would come in and they would preach, the judgment of God is coming. They'd have good preachers that would come in and they would tell them the truth. And here's what they would say in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 8. Look at that with me. In verse 8 through 13, he said, The Lord has sent a word against Jacob, and it will fall on Israel. And all the people will know Ephraim, which we told you that was Israel. Remember that? Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, which was the capital of Israel, who say in pride and arrogance in their heart. So the word of judgment comes to them, and listen to what they say. The bricks have fallen, but we will build with dressed stones. The sycamores have been cut down but we will put cedars in their place. But the Lord raises the adversaries of resin against him and stirs up his enemies. The Syrians are on the east, the Philistines are on the west, and they devour Israel with open mouth. And for all this, his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. And so what you see in that is that in pride, when true preaching would come to them, They would look at their sin and instead of actually acknowledging that they actually are sinning and they're not following God and they're not seeking God, instead they would say, you know what, if judgment does come, we'll just rebuild with better stones. If judgment does come, we'll just build back with cedars instead of sycamores. 
So this is great pride and arrogance in their heart. They would not listen to God. They would not turn to God. They would not believe the Word of God that judgment is coming. And they had terrible leaders that were not teaching them the right way. And so after every act of discipline, God says, for all of this, His anger has not turned away and His hand is stretched out still. Look again at Isaiah 9 in uh, verse uh, 17. You'll see. Because that's what chapter 9 is all about. In chapter 9, verse 17, he says, Therefore the Lord does not rejoice over their young men. He has no compassion on their fatherless and widows. For everyone is godless and an evildoer, and every mouth speaks folly. For all of this his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. Now go to verse 21. Manasseh devours Ephraim, and Ephraim devours Manasseh. It's talking about brothers destroying one another. How many of you parents love to see your children just destroy one another? God said, brothers are destroying one another. Ephraim devours Manasseh. Together they are against Judah, who is their other brother down south. And for all of this, his anger has not turned away and his hand is still stretched out. And then go to Isaiah 10 verse 4. Nothing remains but to crouch among the prisoners or fall among the slain. For all of this, his anger has not turned away and his hand is still stretched out. You know, here's what you're seeing here. This nation has seen the judgment of God fall on them in so many ways. This would happen to them and they'd just keep on sinning. And then this would happen to them and they would just keep on sinning. They would devour one another as brothers and they, would, they were split right down the middle and they were at war with each other. And yet, for all this, God's hand is still stretched out. And so we're seeing this nation that every time that God sends discipline their way. Instead of turning around, they just rebuild and they just keep on sinning. They become more evil and more evil every day. Remind you of the nation we live in today. And so what we see in this is that the problem, the primary problem is that they did not have good leadership and good people who were standing teaching the way of God, leading in the ways of God, trying to lead them in the right manner. But instead, they were following the lies that they were being told over and over again. And ultimately, what they were doing is what Paul talked about in Romans chapter 2, verse 4 through 5. He says, Do you presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and His patience? Not knowing that God's kindness... In other words, what's His kindness? The fact that He ain't just completely destroyed you yet. How many of you are, are surprised that God even let you wake up this morning? <laughs> let me tell you something. The fact that I, He lets me draw another breath is amazing to me. And he says right here, do you presume, do you disregard the riches of His kindness, His forbearance, His patience on your life, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? And if you do that, verse 5 tells you what you're actually doing. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And that's exactly what the world is doing today when they continue to not follow Christ, not learn from Christ, but they continue to walk in more and more evil. And let me tell you something. 
If you indeed are a person that says, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but yet your life every day is about not seeking His counsel, not seeking His wisdom, not seeking His Word, not looking to Him and asking Him for guidance, but instead you continue to grow more and more evil every day, let me tell you, your faith is useless. Can I say that without condemning you instead? That's the kindness of God, the fact that you woke up this morning and He's given you another chance to repent, to turn around. And if you don't do that, you are storing up wrath for yourself. And this is exactly what we're doing as a nation. We see God judge us in so many ways and so many weather events that happen and and terrorist events that happen and war events that happen and we see the judgment of God on this world day after day after day and yet instead of repenting of our sins and turning to Him for salvation, we seek our own way. We go our own way and we continue to grow more and more evil every day and we store up wrath after wrath after wrath until one day, guys listen to me, one day wrath is coming that you will not escape. Wrath is coming that we will not take another breath in this life. And that's exactly what he tells them in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 5 through 6. Look at what he says right here. Let's look at Isaiah 10, verse 5 and 6, and then we'll skip to the end of it. But he says, Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger. The staff in their hands is my fury. Against a godless nation I will send him. Talking about Israel here. I'm going to send to Assyria. Now woe to them because they're going to be struck down by the wrath of God too. Nobody's getting out of, no sinner's getting out of this thing alive. All right? But in the meantime, He's going to use one sinner to punish another sinner. And He still does that today. And He says, they are the rod of my anger. The staff in their hands is my fury. And then notice what He is going to do. Skip down with me to verse 33 and 34 of chapter 10. He says, behold, the Lord God of hosts is going to lop the bows with terrifying power. The great in height, will be hewn down. The lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe. And Lebanon, who was known for their massive mighty cedar trees, Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. Here's what he's saying. There is a day of wrath coming, both literally here when Assyria comes in and literally leaves nothing but stumps behind. He literally takes down every tree, forest fires, and they destroy the land all the way down to the brush and the briars. They destroy it all. It's a wasteland by the time Assyria moves through this place. And there is nothing left of Israel. They're completely destroyed. And then Judah, they come down and they wipe out 90% of it. Only 10% of Judah is left. And that's only because that's where the son of David, the promise the line of the tribe of Judah is going to come from. And so he saves 10% of it. But we paint some word picture here of the wrath of God coming through in such a way that all this pride and arrogance that they had by not seeking the Lord's way, by not turning from their sins, by not hearing the Word of God and turning around, all this pride and arrogance, he says, I'm going to cut down the most prideful of them. He said, I'm going to cut down the greatest of them. He said, no matter how big and mighty they are, there ain't going to be nothing left but a stump 
Stumps in Assyria, stumps in Israel, stumps in Judah. And that moves us into Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1. Look at what he says. But, so what's God's answer to all this? Is God just going to destroy everything and just not leave nothing? Is God just going to wipe it all out and there's no hope for the world? No. He gives hope. Look what he says. But there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Notice there. He just takes the word picture and moves it down here. There ain't nothing left of Israel. David's heritage, Solomon's heritage, all that, it's wiped out. It's gone. It ain't nothing but a stump left. But I got good news. Out of that stump of Jesse, and who was Jesse? Father of David. Out of the stump of Jesse, I am going to send forth a shoot. In other words, new life is going to come out of this stump. It's going to turn into a branch. And from the roots of this branch, it is going to bear fruit for the Lord. Because what is it that Israel did not do? They did not bear fruit. But instead, they grew godless and more evil. And so he says here, I am going to send forth a shoot. There's going to come forth a shoot out of this stump. It's going to look like there's nothing left. And let me tell you something. When the Roman Empire came in and and Israel was this little bitty place, it, it, it didn't have hardly any population to it at all left. They were mixed up with Samaritans and, and so many other different religions of the world. And yet out of this little stump, this little stump that was left, God sends forth a shoot a king, a leader that is going to fill the earth with the knowledge of the Lord. Because listen, the problem with the earth is that even though the knowledge of the Lord was available, the world didn't want it. And so look what he does in Isaiah 11 verse 9. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In other words, when this shoot comes forth and when this king reigns over his kingdom, there is going to be a knowledge of God all over the world that people will not be able to deny. They will not be able to refuse. They will see what the Lord requires of man. They will see it fulfilled in this king, in this shoot, and they will follow it. And it's beginning today in you and I as we have already submitted to this king. Now we fall short of it, do we not? But the reason we're here this morning is because we are being filled with the knowledge of the Lord. And our job is to now turn away from our sin and follow Him. Follow this great King. Now, what do we know about this King? The first thing we know is that He's coming, right? If you see your outline, the King is coming. Notice what He said in verse 1 again, There shall come forth. What does shall come mean? And so what we see in this is that, yes, we see from the past that Jesus has come, but how many of you know Jesus is also coming again? The first time Jesus came, He came to purchase this kingdom. The second time He comes back, He comes to rule over it. Alright, and so what we see in this is that this king is coming and He has come and He is coming again. 
And but this is a stump that that Jesse has. And that's all that's left is just this little stump. And out of this stump, God brings forth this new life, and He gives hope out of this new life. Now, notice a little bit about this king in verse two. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Notice what it says: the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. This is the kind of king that he is going to be. He is going to be a a king that has all the wisdom of God. He has all the understanding of God. He has all the counsel of God. He will never come to me or you and go, what do you think I should do here? He has all the counsel of God. He has all the might of God. He has all the knowledge of God. And He operates in the fear of the Lord. Now listen, a parallel verse to this verse is Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1. And look what this says. The Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now listen to what Jesus said about this verse in Luke chapter 4, verse 17 through 21. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to Jesus. And He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Listen what the Lord says here. And He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on Him. And look what He says. And He began to say to them, Today... This Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying what Isaiah spoke about the coming King that was going to come from the stump of Jesse that the Spirit of the Lord would rest on. I'm here. I'm here. This is about me. And so we see that this King is from Jesse, but at the same time, This king is the king of Jesse, the king of David. He is the king that has all the power of God, all of the wisdom of God, all of the counsel of God, the understanding, the knowledge, and everything he does is in the fear of God Almighty. He said, my food is to do the will of Him who sent me. That's all I want to do. And so in this, I want you to notice that this verse is not just talking about his first coming, but it's talking about his second coming. Look down in 11, uh, Isaiah 11, verse 4 and 5, and notice what he says here. But with righteousness he's going to judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Now go with me to Revelation chapter 19, verse 15, and I want you to see that this is actually fulfilled in his second coming. It says, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And so what we see in this is that when we read about what's taking place in Isaiah chapter 11, yes, it's talking about his first coming, but Isaiah's looking far past that. 
And Isaiah is looking into the kingdom that he is going to reign over when he comes back the second time. Remember, the first coming, he came to purchase your salvation. He came to purchase the kingdom. The first time, he came on a donkey. The second time, he's coming back on what? A white horse. (laughs) The first time, he didn't come with crowns on his head because he came born in a manger from the lowest of the low family, from a stump of Jesse, not David. You know why Jesse? Because who was Jesse before David? Nobody. He comes as a what looks like a nobody the first time he comes. But let me tell you something. When he comes back the second time, he's not a nobody. He has many crowns on his head. When he comes back the second time, he comes with a name, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he comes to rule and reign over all the earth. And then, just so you know what we're talking about here, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 through 3, It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. And after that, he must be released for a little while. Now, I know all of you are asking the same question I'm asking. Why are you going to let him out? Come back Wednesday night and you'll find out. That's all I'll say. But here's what I want you to understand. There is going to be, when Jesus comes back the second time, there is going to be a period of a thousand years that Jesus is actually going to rule and reign on this earth. Not the new heavens and the new earth. On this earth. And there are going to be people that are going to survive that last day of God's wrath. There are going to be believers that are going to go into this, what we call the millennial kingdom, because millennial meaning a thousand years. They are going to go into this millennial kingdom, but let me tell you something, they are still going to have sinful hearts and sinful minds. And so what are we going to do about this? Well, God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set up my kingdom of God on earth just like I promised all Israel that I was going to do. And it is going to flow with milk and honey and it is going to have my king over it and he is going to rule with the Spirit of the Lord. He is going to rule with all my knowledge, all my counsel, all of my wisdom. He's going to rule with all of my understanding. And He is going to decide disputes between whether there are people that are poor or whether they are rich, but there are going to be people in this kingdom that God is going to rule over through His Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we're starting right here. This is just the beginning of God creating His kingdom. At the end of that thousand years, if you were to go back and read Revelation, what you're going to find out is that once the thousand years is ended and they release Satan from the pit, He gathers up some sinners on earth again, tries to create a rebellion against Christ, and in just an instant, Jesus wipes it out. And then God creates a new heaven and a new earth where there is no more sin, there is no more darkness, there is no more evil, and then we go into that eternal state is what we call it, forever and ever and ever with Him. And this is what the Bible teaches. 
But what we're looking at right here is King Jesus beginning His reign over that thousand year reign when we are going to have the kingdom of God here on this earth. And believers that are still alive are going to go in with Him. And then believers that have already went to heaven in some way, the Bible teaches, are going to come back with Him and enter this heaven on earth, if you will, with Him. And again, I'm teaching that on Wednesday night, so if you want to know more about that, that's what we're doing. But this King is going to reign over all the nations of this earth for a thousand years. Jesus is going to be King of the world. And again, the King has come to purchase it, and He is coming again to rule over it. And that's what we're waiting on right here. And in this kingdom, we know that He knows every knowledge of God, and so He leads us in the knowledge and the wisdom of God. Ain't it good to know that in this kingdom, let me just say this, y'all don't shoot me, you're never going to run out of wine at the party at this kingdom. You know why? Because the king is there. In this kingdom, you are never going to run out of food because he can take two fish and five loaves and do what? 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 and have fragments left over. In this kingdom, you are never going to be negatively affected by weather. You know why? Because he is the one that says, peace be still. And what do the winds and waves do? What we see when we go back and study Jesus' life in the New Testament is that we learn that He proved over and over again that when He rules, guess what? He rules over everything. And we get to go and live in this kingdom. And we're going to learn a little bit more about that kingdom here in a minute. I'm looking out for y'all, okay? Just hold on. But next, let's look at some of the king's attributes. Go back with me to Isaiah chapter 11. Now remember, he's filled with the Spirit of the Lord's wisdom, the Spirit of the Lord's understanding, His counsel, His might, His knowledge. He operates in His will is to do everything that pleases the Father, right? And because of that, look at His attributes. In verse 3, His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He loves to do what the Lord, what the Lord is pleased by. And he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. Now, if you were to go back earlier at Isaiah, you'd learn that their judges were evil. Their judges took advantage of the poor. And they did things to please the rich. And they were taking bribes. And and there was not good righteousness and justice in this land. And that's not the kingdom of God, is it? But when this king comes and sets up his kingdom, let me tell you something, this judge don't operate like that. If there ever is a dispute that needs to be decided because there are sinners that come into this kingdom, that dispute is handled immediately with the counsel of God, the knowledge of God. He doesn't decide with his eyes and looks and goes, well, that person's poor. I don't have to do much for them. Or he doesn't look at the rich and goes, well, if I'm good to them, then maybe they'll give me a little something to to go on the side. Which is what we do, right? James even had to address it in the church. He said, listen, when a rich man comes in, he called him the five-fingered ringed, ringed man. He had rings all over his, his fingers. He said it was a, a symbol of status when you come in in the Jewish world and had rings on your hand. He said, when that guy comes in and you see that he's well off and rich, don't treat him any different than you do the, the, the poor man. Why? Because that's not the way the kingdom of God works. God is not a respecter of person. 
God is a respecter of faith and faith alone. And what we see in this right here is that Jesus, His attributes, He judges with righteousness, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're meek, or whether you're overbearing. How many of you know that sometimes you can go to court and you can win or lose on whether you're gentle and don't say much, or whether you're overbearing and say everything? Right? But that don't mean you're right just because you talk a lot. Right? He says Jesus is not going to operate like that. That's not the way this judge operates. He judges with the righteousness of God. And not only that, keep going with me in verse 4. But with righteousness, He shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And He shall strike the earth with the rod of His mouth and with the breath of His lips. He shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of His waist and faithfulness the belt of His loins. And here we have the picture of clothing here that's used so many ways. This is actually where Paul preached Isaiah, uh, Ephesians chapter 6. This is where he pulls it from, is Isaiah. But look at Psalm chapter 109 for a minute to see a little bit of this. Because you actually see the exact opposite of being clothed in something, but not righteousness. And this is what he says. He's talking about a man that loves to curse. Let curses come upon him. He did not delight in blessing, so may blessing be far from him. And look at verse 18. He clothed himself with cursing as his coat. May it soak into his body like water, like oil into his bones. May it be like a garment that he wraps around him, like a belt that he puts on every day. And what he's saying here is this. The belt is what would use to tie everything together, right? No matter what you put on, the belt tied it all together. It was a cloak, but you took the belt and you pulled it all together with it. And he's saying here that when Jesus pulls all of His clothing together, the only thing that will be there will be righteousness. That's all that will be there. There won't be no unjustness to Him. Don't matter whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're meek, Jesus is going to be a just King. And then go on down with me to verse 6 because we get to see a little bit of this king's kingdom and this is where we'll stop at today. So let's look at this king's kingdom. In verse 11, verse 6, because, now remember, keep, keep in track with me. Because Jesus is the king that God is sending that is going to reign with His spirit, with His power, with His understanding, His knowledge, with His compassion, with His... With, with His understanding and His fear of the Lord, because Jesus is righteousness in everything that He does, look what the result of the kingdom is going to be. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Y'all ever seen that before? The wolf is going to lie down with the lamb. And the leopard is going to lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fattened calf are going to lie. How many of y'all ever seen a lion willing to just lay down and rest beside a fat calf? It don't happen. And the little child is going to lead them. How many of you are going to take your kid to the zoo and set him over the fence with the lions and say, now you go grab that one by his beard and pull him over here where I can pet him. But in this day and time, that will be an easy task because they will not be enemies. Why are they not enemies? Because the earth is filled with the knowledge of the Lord. And if the earth is filled with the knowledge of the Lord, guess what? The animal world is too. Let me show you something that's going to happen in this kingdom. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 through 25, I think it is. Look at what um, the Lord says here. 
Romans chapter 8, verse, starting in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to compare with the glory that's going to be revealed in us in that day. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the Son of God. Sons of God. You hear that? The creation is waiting with eager... What's the creation? What's he talking about here? Trees, animals, your dog, your cat, the lions, the bears, the tigers, oh my. They are waiting with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Why? Look at verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, the curse. Not willingly. They didn't ask for it. But because of Him who subjected it. Who's that? God did. God cursed it. Why did He curse it? In hope. And look at verse 21. Here's why they're eagerly waiting for yours and mine revealing, for this kingdom of God to come. Because the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You catch that? The creation is going to be made new. It's going to go back to the way it was in the Garden of Eden when man and animal weren't enemies. They were friends. It's going to go back into the day to when the the wolf didn't eat the lamb. They grazed together. It's nothing but peace in this land. And look at verse 22 of Romans 8. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. The whole creation has been groaning, waiting on that day. Waiting on that day when they don't experience the curse of this world anymore. Just like you and I. How many of y'all have experienced any groaning lately because of the curse of this world? And you're longing, eagerly waiting for the day when when the curse is no more. And he says here in verse 24, or verse 23, And not only the creation, but we ourselves are groaning who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await the adoption as sons. And what's the adoption? The redemption of our bodies. We're waiting on those new bodies. And then look what he says in verse 24. For in this hope we were saved. In other words, faith is the full assurance of hope. We're looking forward to this coming kingdom. We're longing for it. We know it's coming. And and in that faith we are saved. And then look what he says. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For why do you still hope for what you see? In other words, we don't have it yet, do we? We read about it in Isaiah, but it's not here, is it? And then look at verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it. With what? Patience. We are looking at the kingdom that God has promised is coming. And I've only give you just the first thing of it. Next week we're going to come back and we're going to look at all types of things that because this king reigns, this is the way the kingdom is. But I want you to understand that creation itself is eagerly waiting for that day when you and I are redeemed and brought into the kingdom of God. Because in that day, creation itself is going to be renewed and the curse is going to be lifted and we are all going to dwell together in Peace. And there is going to be nothing like this land with the king that is over it. And the whole earth is going to be full of the knowledge of the Lord the way that the waters cover the sea right now. That's the way the knowledge of the Lord is going to be. I guess I'd close today by saying this. 
We know that the majority of our problems come from the fact that we don't listen to the Lord's knowledge, to His counsel, His, um, His understanding. We don't trust His power in our lives, but instead we try to do things on our own, with our own wisdom and counsel. And I want you to understand this. We already have this King. Now He has not established the kingdom in the way that we read about it here, but He's already purchased it. And He has already called you and I as believers into it under His Lordship. One of the qualifications of you being saved is that you confess that Jesus is what? Lord. That means King of kings, Lord of lords. That means the supreme authority over everything and everyone. And we are supposed to be coming in here week after week learning from this King. Learning from the knowledge of the Lord that He is filling us with. And I guess my question to you would be simple today. In your daily life, are you seeking His counsel for the steps that you make? In your daily life, are you seeking His wisdom for the decisions that you have to make? In this daily life, are you looking ahead to the coming kingdom, preparing for that day, or are you laying up and building treasures here on this earth, and that's your primary concern? If that's the case, I want to ask you today to look at this king. He is a worthy king to follow. He is a worthy king to submit to. And let me tell you something, you're not going to run out of anything under his reign. And you definitely want to be in His kingdom. And one of the ways that you're going to know whether or not you're there or not is if you are following His rule and His reign in your life now. Now am I saying you're going to never make mistakes and mess up? No. But I am saying that you should be actively not just coming to church, but learning from Him. Enrolling in the school of Jesus. Learning to follow Him. Instead of responding in your arguments the way that you used to respond, you look to Him. God, how would you have me to respond? Instead of responding this way to stress and bills and everything else in the world, you respond by looking to Him, by seeking Him, by trusting Him, by waiting on Him with patience. But if you can't see those things in your life, then I'm saying to you today, you need to examine yourself and you need to repent of your sin, of not following Him, not looking to Him, just like the Israelites did. Because if you don't repent of that, let me tell you something, the day of wrath is coming and you are storing up for yourself wrath for the day of wrath. Right now you see His kindness, His mercy, His patience, His forbearance. And now would be a good time to repent and to say, Father, forgive me. I want to look to You. I want to follow Your King. I want to learn from you. I want to come into your house and be a part of the body that you've put together and I want to grow in you. And if you can say that today, you are on your way to being in this kingdom that we talked about today under this great king.